And Lord, thank you so much that we can say that it is well with our soul. It is well because of your grace and your mercy toward us. So we give you praise and give you thanks this morning. Pray that you give us ears to hear what the Spirit would speak to us through your word. I ask again that you would have mercy upon me, a sinner. That you would speak through me by the power of your Holy Spirit. That you would empty me of myself. And um, that those here this morning, they hear only the words of God. We give you praise again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. It has been um, a month since we've been in the book of Acts. So Jim said because of the weather, he said, you know, kind of move this along, preach quick. So, um, so um, I thought about this all week. Is all right. Here we go. We're gonna do uh, we're gonna do uh, five chapters in the book of Acts today. Okay, um, not really, but I am gonna kind of bring us back up to speed, though. Um, I kind of think after we've uh, been away from from the text for a while, that it's good to get the context of where it is that that we're going to go next. So if you would open to Acts chapter 5, I'm going to begin in verse 12. I'm going to read through that, and then we're going to kind of go just get us updated, and then um, then we'll dig in, okay? So Acts chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees. And filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, not, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when, they, and when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to the men of Israel, 
Take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thanus rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. This is the word of God for us this morning. Thanks be to God. And so as we, as we get up to date, we've got to think about um, some things that, that we've been talking about all along. So we get this sort of context of what's happening next. So remember as we started that the birth of the church, that is really what we are studying here, the birth of the church in the book of Acts. That it is a Holy Spirit initiated, Holy Spirit empowered believers that begin to witness all that Jesus did and taught. And what they do is they, is they do this by the lives that mimic or imitate his life here on earth. As they're living this out, as they're fleshing this out, they are imitating, they're being witnesses to telling the truth about Jesus by the lives that they live. And so they speak about this, uh, they speak about those things that God has revealed to them as they model they model what it is to live for the kingdom of God. That's the church. One of the things that um, we want to, to understand is that it's also done in order of expanding influence. As we remember from Acts chapter 1, <clears throat> Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost ends of the earth. You see that as God has favor with them, the expansion of the gospel goes outward, right? But I want us to not... Um, Ever, ever, ever not think that the church began anywhere else except Jerusalem. The church of Jesus Christ began with Jewish believers in Jesus. And that is how the gospel expanded from there. Okay? So you might have other things that, that, that say other things or other folks that try to center the church in Rome or center it in this other place. It is really clear that the church was centered in Jerusalem if you just read the text of scripture. That that's where that the Christianity began with the Jews in Jerusalem. So, we want to be clear on that. Um, one of the things that, as we studied, is that we understood that there's a, there's a cyclical principle that keeps happening. As we've unfolded these texts, we see that a Christian leaders emerge, and they preach the gospel. And that listeners are converted and added to the church. Then, opponents begin to persecute the church. God intervenes on their behalf. And then, lo and behold, the witness of God expands. Okay? So this pattern continues to go on and on and on, right? One of the things that's really amazing about the idea that the witness expands, to me, is I kept hearing this idea that God's plans will not be thwarted. Right? God's plans cannot be thwarted. And we saw that in the text today, too. We'll see that even further. That God's plans cannot be thwarted. That when God ordains something to come to pass, it indeed comes to pass. 
And no knucklehead like you or me can intervene with that, can, can block that from happening. If God ordains it to come to pass, it indeed does come to pass. That's the way it is. I love that, though. That, that's a truth that we can hang on to, right? That if God ordains it, it's coming to pass. That if God is not in it, it'll come to nothing, right? That, that, those are great truths, I think. So one of the things we want to look at, too, is that as they preach the gospel, as these who are empowered to preach or tell the truth about to be witnesses of Jesus Christ and what he has done, is that God has formed a people who were not a people pre- previously. You see, they might have had some Jewish descent, maybe, but, but notice that when the Holy Spirit came and empowered them, that they came from all sorts of places together. They were unified in the power of the Holy Spirit, and they became a people that were not a people. And that's exactly what the church is. It is a people drawn together with, as we talked about from the beginning, as I was reading the confession of who Jesus is. That is our unifying force. It's bringing a people who, we're, we're in this room right now, and there's, there's lots of things that we do not have in common one with another, but we have one thing. Right, We may be as different as night and day amongst each other, but we have Jesus in common. And Jesus Christ is that which unifies us, right? And it makes us a people who were previously not a people. So um, that's one of the things that as we look at that, I, I couldn't help but, but think of Hosea. I know you're thinking, well, how could you go to Hosea? But as I was thinking about um, getting this in context, I went to Hosea because... Um, it's really clear what God has done in his mercy for his church. And he spoke it long ago. Um, here he says in um, Hosea 2, um, beginning verse 16. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my ba- Baal. For I removed the names of the Baals from her mouth. And they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the, the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. And you shall know the Lord. And in that day, I will answer, declares the Lord, I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel, and I will sow her for myself in the land. And I will have mercy on no mercy, that is, I will have mercy on those who I have not previously had mercy, and I will say to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. Amen to that, right? So um, if you notice, if you remember from the story of Hosea, that he declares to Gomer. What a lovely name for a lady. But so he declares that that um, that she's not gonna um, that she's gonna have these kids and he's they're gonna be named. Not my people and no mercy. And then he says, but here's the promise that 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 one day there'll be a day when I will take not my people and I will make them my people. I will take those that I haven't had mercy, showed mercy upon them and I will show my mercy upon them and then they will become my people. That, to me, my friends, that is the church. So then as we were looking through um, uh, Acts uh, as a whole here, uh, another thing that we come to is what shall we do with this truth? What shall we do with the fact that, that Jesus 
came and is forming a church. What shall we do when we bear witness or when we hear the witness of Jesus Christ being proclaimed to us? And what shall we do? And it's really simple. They say, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, right? Turn to Christ. If, if that indeed is, you're hearing that today and you're saying, what, what shall I do with this truth about Jesus? Well, it's simple. Repent and be baptized. There's not a whole big program. You don't have to go change your hairstyle, change your clothes, um, change who you hang out with. None of that. Repent and be baptized. Kind of a simple program, right? Another thing that we notice is that no one, no one gets off the hook. There's not anyone, in, as we look in the book of Acts and we see that the witness being proclaimed, that there's nobody who gets off the hook. Because we see that by lawless hands, right? Religious zealots, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, you, me, everyone, we all crucified Christ. And so as we come to the scriptures, it tells us clearly, none of us are off the hook. Okay? So we have to be clear about that, that as we see this, every time it comes, it comes down as they're communicating the gospel, they're, they're not letting me off the hook. They're not going to let me off the hook for this. They're saying, um, Christ was killed by lawless hands. And then when you reflect upon that, how many times have my hands been lawless? How many times have I committed lawless deeds? How many times have I tried to usurp the authority of God and held it for myself, right? He says, well, you're not off the hook, but there's good news because didn't we just hear this? We just heard the good news, right? Is that a people who are not my people, I will make a people. And the people to whom I have not shown mercy, I will show mercy to them. That is us. That is the church. So, then further, I'm really going to get to Acts chapter 5 in a minute, I promise. So, but we, we, I want to see it in the context of this, because as we looked at the early church model, we saw that Acts 2.42 really explained a very sort of simple thing about what is the church to be about. They're to be about these simple things, right? Steadfast in the apostles' teaching. Steadfast in fellowship one with another. Steadfast in the breaking of bread, that is in sharing one with another and also in sharing in communion with Christ, right? And prayer. So we don't have to have a whole big program of, of religion, right? Because the book of Acts is pretty clear that the early church were steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship one with another, in the breaking of bread with one another, and in prayer, and they didn't add a whole bunch of other things to that. This was the program. This was the church program, right? This is what the church is about. And so then the outflow of this, the outflow of this steadfast doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread is that we have a regard for only one possession in life. As we saw, right? As we saw those who who were fully committed, that those who were all in for Christ, they had one possession in life that they had deep regard for. And that possession in life that they had deep regard for was Jesus Christ. They had deep regard for, for the life that Christ had given them. And that was the only thing that mattered, right? All of their stuff and their things, it didn't matter. Put them together because it's for the good of everyone, right? Because the possession that really matters is Jesus. And here's the other thing, that even with that one possession, we must give it away in an all or nothing effort. That's the idea to bear witness, right? To tell the truth about Jesus. You have this one possession, and this possession is greater than any possession anybody has on the planet, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. That's who we have. And I've been talking about being all in. Well, also all in is being all out, too. It's taking all that we are and all that we understand about who Christ is and saying, in an all or nothing effort, I'm going to give him away. 
It's the only thing that I possess that I care anything about. But I'm going to take everything that I have and I'm going to give him away everywhere I go. Right? So it's an all-in effort. And so I started thinking about this and I'm like, you guys are probably going to say, this guy is going to talk about all-in for like all of 2016 probably. Right? And as I've been studying this, I'm like, I just might. Um, uh, I, I really might because as I kept unfolding this, I kept seeing... You know, that, that this is, these are about committed Christians who are just so committed to the witness of Jesus that they just gave everything. And that they were all in. They were just sold out um, for who Christ is. And when they were, then you saw Christ just intervene in, in troubles and trials and problems and all the things that would come at them. The things that, that, that he promised, that he showed us in the pattern of scripture is that in this world there will be trouble, Right? And then he follows it with, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world, right? So he, Christ, being our overcomer, comes in and intervenes in our, in our worst moments and says, I have overcome everything, and by my power living in you, then you too, my friend, become an overcomer, right? Good news. Incredibly good news. So now, as I promised, Acts chapter 5. Um, so let's look at 12 through um, 16 together. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they're all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, that at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Well, one of the things that I want to look at here is that we can get caught up, and, the, and there are churches around us in our, in our own community, in our own county, that get caught up in signs and wonders. They get caught up in wanting to see the next sign and the next wonder, the next amazing thing, the next amazing work of God. And then they think that, that God is not showing us favor if there's not miracle things happening all the time around them, right? And so they're looking for their next fix. Well, what I want us to see here is that these signs and wonders, they were done by the hands of the apostles, but for believers. They weren't done for those outside. There's no one who's, who's they're not aiming to, to, to get people to uh, believe the gospel by these signs and wonders. It was to encourage believers. It was to encourage them, to build them up. It wasn't that these signs and wonders were about, well, that's how we're going to reach people, is by doing something miraculous or those kind of things. But I've seen this happen um, in our county in the last couple of years, that there were, there were folks that were going to the campus at Mack High, and they were performing signs and wonders and all these things in an attempt to get kids saved was what that was what they were communicating and i'm like well the gospel is pretty clear that those signs and wonders were about encouraging and building up the body of believers and they really weren't about how you reach someone another thing that i that makes me think about this is that how you catch them is how you keep them how you catch people is how you keep them right so if we were full of all kinds of programs here at this church and we had all the bells and whistles and we had, you know, these uh, great big stage lights and there was a big performance. What I called, I told Haley the other day, I call it worship payment, right? So if we were all like worship cainers, right, and we, we were doing all this sort of thing, that, that if someone came 
and wanted to be part of this fellowship because of that thing, you've got to outperform yourself every single week. You've got to keep doing that. You've got to do it a little bit better. And I say that because the scripture is clear, keep it simple, saint. K-I-S-S, right? Keep it simple, saint. And the simple thing is this, steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in prayer, right? And in the breaking of bread with one another, right? That's the simple thing. So signs and wonders are meant to encourage us and to build us up as believers, but not meant to be a way to reach those who are lost for Christ. We need to tell the truth about Jesus. That's what we need to do. So, again, I want us to see that they were all together in Solomon's portico. That is, that these signs and wonders brought them together in unity, together. Again, it's about fellowship, right? And so, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. I remember a couple of years ago, I had, and I was reading this text, it just so happened, this particular passage, I was reading at a um, high school group we were having on campus on a Wednesday, and what we did after we, we uh, went through the scriptures was we went out and we would just pick up trash all around the campus. We'd pick up trash or nail a board down on the, on the bleachers, and I had kids with me, and we would go and wipe clean windows, whatever it was that we were doing, Right. And there were people, there were, there were other students looking at the students that were with me like, you guys are just ridiculous. Like, what is it that you're doing? And I kept saying to those kids, I said, look at this, right? They know that what you're doing is a really, really good thing. And they dare not join you, right? They'll make fun of you and they'll mock you, but they won't join you. But secretly... Maybe in their own hearts, they know that is a good thing, that, that these guys are making a difference. These guys are making a So I told them, I said this, and, and I think that this is true of us. We will find favor if we do not waver, right? We need to not waver from doing good while we have the opportunity to do so, right? We will find favor. They, we will be held in esteem. They may dare not join us. They might not join in what we do, but we will be held in high esteem if we do not waver. Stay steadfast. It's going to look like persecution. It's going to look like all of these things. But God says, again, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, that we have an overcoming Savior. And that if we do not waver, we are going to find favor. So continue in those things. So notice here, too, that, that the Holy Spirit adds the multitudes. The Holy Spirit is the one that adds multitudes to the church, right? So there's these signs, there's these wonders, and there's these, these works that these guys are doing that are being held in high esteem, although nobody would join them. And he says, but it follows right after that, that more than ever believers are added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men, men and women. See, the Holy Spirit, again, is adding people to the church. It's not about the signs, it's not about the wonder. It's about the Holy Spirit empowering people and bringing people to himself. And then, lastly, notice that these people that were gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, they were healed. But notice that healing follows conversion, right? Notice that the Lord added them, and then they were healed. And then people were healed, right? Because our greatest sickness is what? It is not our physical ailments. Our greatest sickness is that we are sinners in need of grace and mercy from Jesus Christ. That is our sickness. And God is so much more concerned with our souls than he is with our health, right? 
But then once we are converted souls, look at this, then he says, he has mercy upon them. And he has mercy upon the afflicted. And then he removes unclean spirits. And then he heals them, right? So let's move forward to 17. So, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to all the people the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Look at this. The words of this life. The words of this life. I love this because as as uh, Doug probably told you last week, the the. The idea of, of being in the word of God and having that truth set us free. That as we not just apprehend the truth mentally, but as we live it, as it becomes part of who we are, right? That this, this truth, it is, those, those are the words that pertain to life, that pertain to this life, that pertain to giving us life. And I couldn't help but think, um, if you want to flip there with me to John chapter 6. Um, beginning in verse um, 60. See, it's really tough, these disciples, as they hear, they had, they had a tough time with these words of life sometimes. Um, but John six sixty begins this. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending, ascending to where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the father. After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, that's the words of life, right? We have come to know. We have heard the words of life. And we have come to know that Jesus is the Son of God. We have the words of this life. Well, another thing that, that really um, struck me. As we talked about this um, before, let's look at, at verse um, 28 really quick uh, of Acts chapter 5. Saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Notice this, as they push up against what it is, these words of life that these guys were speaking, they push up against this. You would have Jesus' blood on my hands. I can't hear this. I can't bear to hear that truth, right? And as we talked about before, I love that fact that it is true of me. As I read this, I have the blood of Jesus on my hands. I have the blood of Jesus Christ on my hands. It was my sin that nailed him to the cross. It was your sin that nailed him to the cross. And as I think about that truth, does it not also say this, that God has mercy upon us and that God's, that the the very blood that I shed, that of his, that I made him shed by my sin. He says, I impute that to you as righteousness. That's amazing grace, isn't it? That is amazing grace. That if you believe, I impute all of what he did 
to you, and I count it as righteousness. That is good news, my friends. That is really good news. And it makes amazing grace amazing. It's what makes grace amazing. Is that you look at it and you go, I've got the blood of Christ on my hands. It was my sin that nailed him there. And then God says, but I have mercy and I have grace for you. That you are not a people. And I haven't shown you mercy before, but now I'm showing you mercy. And I'm going to make you a people. And I make you a people for myself, set apart, a peculiar people, right? A, a, a people set apart. That's amazing grace. That is amazing grace. Undeserved, unmerited, unearned, personal favor from God to whom you and I were opposed. And still are. Most often, right? And God says, but by my grace, but by what you, by, by your faith that I have given you in my son and what he did, by that faith. I will impute the righteousness of my son to you. And I will count all of your transgressions as far as the east is from the west. No more. Right? I will separate them from you. That is amazing, amazing grace when you think about what we uh, don't deserve. Let's look at 29 through 32 and then we'll, uh, we'll close there, I think. Uh, but Peter and the apostles answered him, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey. You see, are these not the words of life right here? These are the words of life. These are really uh, the words that bring us from death unto life. He says... We must obey God rather than men. That's the proclamation. I must obey God rather than obeying men. And the God of our fathers raised up this Jesus whom you killed hanging him on a tree. And who is that? Well, as he's addressing them, but he's also addressing me. He's saying this God of our fathers, of your fathers, raised Jesus whom you killed him by hanging on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel, to give repentance to us, to give forgiveness of sins, right? These are the words of life. And as us, as believers, as he's forming this people who were not a people, right? What does he say here? He says, we are witnesses to these things. We are telling the truth about these things. We're telling the truth about Jesus. And I think it's, it, it goes along, it can go along with Doug's teaching to us um, from John chapter 8 about this truth setting us free. This is not a truth that we have only apprehended up here. It is a truth that we live. It is a truth that has become the fiber of, of who we are, right? And he says, he says this, that we bear witness to those things. We can tell the truth about those things. We can tell the truth about what Christ has done in my life. I can tell you the truth about this is who I once was. This is who I am today. But I can also take a look at who I am today and say, ah, I come to more realization each day of just how wretched I am and how much more I need him. Right? Um, things that didn't seem sinful to me when I first got saved are just extremely sinful to me now. But it's because Christ is dwelling in me. He's changing me. He's transforming me, right? He is overcoming. Christ is then overcoming my sin. 
He's overcoming it in me. He overcame it for good. But in one sense, as we live this life, as we obey his word, as we, um, as we, as we want to be in his word and let it change us, right? That Christ is in the process of overcoming the sinful Jeff, the sinful Doug, the sinful Clinton. Not that you're sinful Clinton, but, you know, it's overcoming those things in us, right? Well, the other thing I want to say is this, is that in this building, one of the reasons why, I think about these words and these words of reconciliation, and you guys probably know, I've talked to you uh, a million times about, about this. I've probably preached it every other month if I can, because it is probably my favorite passage of scripture, because it tells us that we have these words, we have these words of reconciliation, that God tells us in his word in 2 Corinthians, that he has given us the words of reconciliation, He's given us the job, the ministry of reconciliation, right? We have this as a job. And so I can't help but think about these words of reconciliation that, that God has given to us and that our call, then, our job, our mission, our ministry. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5. Um, we'll begin like in verse 18. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We implore you, we beg of you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled unto God. That is our plea. That is, that is our Christian witness. That is our mission. That is our ministry, is that we have been given the words of reconciliation. That was what the church, that's what the church was formed for, was it not? The church was formed for the ministry of reconciliation. God says, I have reconciled you, a people, set you apart, Took in a people who were not a people, made them a people, and now you are a church. And here you go. Here's your mission. You've been reconciled to me. Therefore, go out and reconcile people to God. Plead with them, implore them, beg them. That's what 2 Corinthians really is saying here. We implore you, we beg you, we plead with you. Be reconciled to God. And I tell you that as I prayed uh, over this and I pray for this church and I pray for everyone in here. I pray for these things. Every Saturday night is, 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 is a tough night for me to sleep because I'm thinking about um, all of you and I'm thinking about this, that there are some who might be in that church that morning who have not yet been reconciled to God. They have not. And I plead with them. I beg with them. I, I desire it so much, not for the sake of me, for the sake of God, for the sake of them. I say, I, I'm pleading with you. I beg you. I implore you. Be reconciled unto God. If you have ears to hear that this morning, if you have ears to hear what the Spirit is speaking to you, I believe that He is drawing you to Him, that He is reconciling you to Himself, and that us as a church, can we make it simple, people? Can we just be simple about those who would reconcile people to God? The reconcilers, those who have been reconciled, become reconcilers. That's really the duty of the church. We've been reconciled to God, and so therefore... We ought to communicate that we have the words, the message of reconciliation, and we beg you and we plead with you to be reconciled unto God. 
And you can only do so if you, if you can hear those words. If you hear them this morning, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you get convicted in your heart, right? The Spirit says, I am not at one with God. I am opposite of Him. I am opposed to Him. And I need Him to draw me to Himself this morning. If that's you, I pray that this morning you would hear these words and understand that for your sake, God made Him to be sin. He made Him to be sin. He didn't just transfer sin to He made Him sin. He made Jesus the epitome of all sin Put it all and piled it all on him who knew no sin, who had not experienced sin. And he had to experience all the pain of it, all the separation from God of it, all at once on the cross that day. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What mercy, what grace is that? That is such undeserved favor from God. Amazing truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your word. Um, I pray this morning that you would do a work in us and that this would penetrate our hearts and that you would change us. I'm going to ask us to do something different as we sit here. We just take a couple of moments quietly, right where you're at, and let the word of God, let what you've heard this morning, penetrate your hearts. Let it change you. Let's, Let's just be quiet and let God, by his Holy Spirit, do a work in us. And thank you, God. Amen. So, I'm going to attempt to do something, but I need your help. I'm going to attempt to close by singing the doxology. Y'all know that. Y'all know the words. I don't know if I have them up there. I'm going to start, but you guys have to drown me out because I sound bad, and I got this cold thing going on. Okay, so <laughs> I'm through. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him, above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. Lord, give us strength and courage to continue not to waver, knowing that you will show your favor to us and that we will maybe, by by your grace, win some to, to your son. So, Lord, help us be reconcilers in the world as we go this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.